Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather together this morning to celebrate uh, Rosh Hashanah, to rejoice in the hearing and the rehearsal of the hearing of the sounding of the shofar blast. Father, we pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that you will awaken us to your reality for our lives and our hearts. Father, I pray that you will use me as a vessel for your glory today, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose, and that as we open your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that we will receive from you and be able to go forward as you have called us, restored us, and created us to be for your kingdom. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So, Today, as we have said now numerous times throughout the service, we are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is a time of remembrance, but it's also a time of great joy. You'll notice that everything that is eaten uh, is in some way or another sweetened. So when we have our apples and honey later on, uh, traditionally your meals for Rosh Hashanah are going to be uh, more on the sweeter side. Um, And (laughs) oddly enough, one of the Main dishes, somebody asked me about this earlier this week, uh, which is why it's fresh on my mind and funny. But one of the main kind of uh, main courses that's served traditionally on uh, in Ashkenazi families, especially on Rosh Hashanah, is a giant fish head. Uh, and everybody eats uh, from that fish head or brisket may be eaten, but it can be a fish head. It's sometimes you'll see other kosher animals' heads uh that are slightly larger than fish heads on the table. Uh, the, the, the reason for this, although it sounds funny, the reason for this is because it's a reminder that uh, as we begin this new year, that we are called to be the head and not the tail. And so it's a reminder as we begin the new year to do so with that mindset of desiring to be the head and not the tail, which I believe is a great call for not just the Jewish people, but for the body of Messiah as a whole. God has called us to be the head and not the tail. And in the world that we live in today, unfortunately, far too many believers are allowing ourselves to resemble a donkey's tail as opposed to being the head and uh, leading people to Mashiach. So with that said, we're going to dive into the word today. uh, And I'm going to focus on... uh, the passage that would traditionally be read if we were doing a second day celebration of Rosh Hashanah. And that passage is Genesis 22, which we spoke about uh, being the, the reading for today or for, for tomorrow uh, last night when we talked about this. Genesis 22 is what's known as the Akedah or the binding of Isaac. Um, it is a really interesting passage of scripture in general. It is one that far too many people have racked their brains over trying to understand as though it's something extremely complicated and and as though we serve a God who is extremely vicious and uh, and violent just for the sake of entertainment. Uh, however, when we get down to the nitty-gritty of the passage, we understand that that's not at all the case. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. We're going to jump right into it. Now, it was after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Hineni, he said, here I am. Then he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. So we'll pause there in this narrative and we'll talk about this. First and foremost, is Isaac his only son? Well, no. He also had Ishmael. Ishmael was his son as well, right? Uh, and technically, by, by sheer technicality, Ishmael was his firstborn. But he was his firstborn who was out of the will of God. In other words, Abraham was trying to take the will of God in his own hands. God wasn't moving fast enough for Abraham's desire, so he decided he would help God out. Anybody ever tried to do that before? He tried to help God out. Never pans out well, right? So Abraham tried to help God out, and ultimately what ends up happening is we see everything that happens in Genesis chapter 20, the end of chapter 21 with uh, Ishmael being sent away and, and everything that goes on there. And now we have this huge family rift between uh, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of, of uh, Isaac, uh, also known as the Jewish people and the Arab people. And we see this huge rift and everything that's existed as this generational curse has continued from then on. But in particular, he's talking about Isaac and he's saying, Isaac, your son, your only son, uh, because Isaac is the only son of promise that was given to Abraham. There was a promise that there would be a specific blessing to the world through the seed of Abraham, and it was a very specific seed of Abraham. It wasn't just any kid he may have. It was a very specific son, specifically given to him through Sarah, not through anyone else. And so here is Isaac, who's this child that Abraham has waited for years upon years upon years for. I mean, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born, right? He wasn't, you know, some spring chicken anymore. He was an old dude that had been waiting forever to have a son with his wife. And finally, here is this son, Isaac. Finally, he has this son of promise that he's been waiting for forever. And now God calls him to take his son, his only son, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on a mountain that God will lead him to. Could you imagine that call? After literally a century of waiting for a kid, you get this kid. You rejoice in the reality that God has given you this kid and fulfilled his promise, and then God goes, okay, now's the time. Give him back. You're done. Take him up to this mountain. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. You're going to start walking, and eventually I'll reveal it to you, but you go take him and you sacrifice him. Verse 3, so Abraham got up early in the morning, Sounded his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, he split wood for the burnt offering and got up and went to the place about which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and the young man, we'll go over there and worship and return to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Now keep in mind Abraham's faith, right? Abraham, God, called out of Ur Chaldees, out of his father's house, and said, I want you to travel to a place that you've never known before, and I'll tell you when you're there, and that's where you're going to live. And I'm going to give this territory, I'm going to give this land to your descendancy forever from this point on for all eternity. And Abraham goes, okay, cool, packs up and rolls. And just walks until God tells him, here's the place. Abraham waits and waits and waits in faithfulness for a son. Finally has this son, and God says, all right, I want you to pack up. I want you to take your son. I want you to start walking. You're going to offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me on a mountain that I'll point to you when you get there. And Abraham goes, all right, okay, let's go do this. And he takes off. Because Abraham had waited for so long, there was no doubt in his mind that if God provided a son, God had another miracle in work. 
And so when Abraham takes off and he gets to uh, Mount Moriah, which is uh, uh, Mount Sinai, and he gets to the, the, the very location that God has in store for him, he gets there and he turns to his servants. He tells them to hang tight where they're at. He says, me and the boy, we're going to go up the mountain. We're going to worship God. And we will return. There's no doubt in his mind that Isaac's coming back down off that mountain with him. Think about the faith that it takes to trust in that. There is zero doubt whatsoever in his mind that Isaac is coming back off that mountain with him. We talk about this being a test for Abraham. I don't think it is. I don't think it has anything to do with Abraham's faithfulness. If it did, then we wouldn't have read that Abraham was counted righteous when he left Ur of Chaldees in faithfulness. It doesn't tell us he was counted righteous after this. I believe the test that we're reading about in the Akedah is a test of Isaac. Because if we pay attention with Abraham's life, we see a defining moment in his life where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob becomes the God of Abraham. With Jacob, we see a very defining moment in his life where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob becomes the God of Jacob. With Isaac, we don't read of such an account in such a bolsterous way as we do with Abraham and Jacob. I believe the Akedah is that account. So Abraham gets to the mountain and he tells his servants, me and the boy are going to go up. We're going to worship and we're going to come right back to you. And it says in verse 6, again, that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac's back. Hang on to that for a moment. And put it on Isaac, his son. And his hand, he took the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 7, then Isaac said to Abraham, his father, my father. Then he said, here I am, my son. He said, look, here's the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And in particular, the Hebrew is more akin to God will provide himself a lamb. Not that God will provide for a lamb or God will provide a lamb for, but God will provide himself a lamb. When we look at this, Often it is taught, especially in the Sunday school telling of the story, it's taught as though Isaac's this little boy, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, something like this, that he's this little boy. And then we look at it and go, dude, he's just this little kid. Why are you scaring him like this? This isn't okay. But if we actually pay attention to the scripture, Isaac isn't a little boy. As a matter of fact, it's more than likely that Isaac was somewhere between his early 20s and his early 30s. Personally, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God exactly how old Isaac was when this happened because it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see God's hand in this scenario in an even greater way and Isaac have been 33 years old. Because there's so much of this that is an image, very specifically imagery of Yeshua as our sacrifice. Yeshua as the very lamb that God himself became for our sins. And so we read this story and hold in mind that Isaac was not a boy, he was a young man. So if he was somewhere between 20 and 30, let's just shoot a a round figure. He's 30 years old. We'll just guess that he's 30 years old. So if Isaac is 30 years old going up this mountain, and Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, how old is Isaac? How old is Abraham, I'm sorry? 130 years old. My dad is, is just short of exactly 20 years older than me. There is no way on God's green earth that he is tying me down to anything without either knocking me out first or me allowing it to happen. It's just not going to happen. I will fight to the very death if I have to, but I'm not getting tied down to nothing by my father who's 20 years older than me. There's a 100-year gap between Isaac and Abraham. 
What makes us think that Isaac wasn't a willing participant in this scenario? When Isaac's going up the mountain with his father, he's carrying the wood on his back. He sees the knife in one hand and the, the fire in the other of his father's hands. And he goes to him and says, hey, Pop, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice? This was Isaac saying, all right, I understand what's going on. And I'll trust you. You trust God. You know what's going on. I'm going to walk with you in faithfulness. I'm going to trust you. And they get up to the mountain and Isaac lays down on the, the table, the, the altar that's made. He lays down on it and he sits there patiently as his father ties him down to this table. And he sits there patiently as he watches his father get the kindling ready for the fire. And he sits there patiently as his father, tearful eyes I imagine, billowing every ounce of emotion he has as he lays the blade to his son's neck. And he sits there patiently as he watches his father being willing to do whatever the Lord asks of him, trusting in faithfulness that God is going to work a miracle in one way or another. Either God's going to provide a substitutionary sacrifice or God's going to resurrect Isaac from the dead. But either way, Abraham believes in perfect faith that they're walking back down that mountain. And Isaac believes in perfect faith that his father is a man after God's own heart and that he can trust him. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as Abraham prepares to slaughter his son, Abraham hears an angel cry out, Abraham, Abraham! Abraham again replies, Hineni. Then he said, do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. For now I know that you are, are one who fears God. You did not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes, and I imagine allowed the tears to dry up a little bit so he could see. And behold, there was a ram just caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham named the place Adonai Yireh, as it is said today on the mountain Adonai will provide. Isaac is a young man. He is perfectly aware of what is going on. I imagine his father has told him time and time again of his journey of faithfulness following the call of God to leave his family's household and go to what is known as the land of Canaan at that point, what would become Eretz Israel, the land of Israel. I imagine he's heard time and time again the stories of the miracles that God had provided in the, the journey on their way to Israel. I imagine he's heard time and time again about the only, the only, the, the, his own miracle of life, the story of how he came about to be when his parents were beyond age to give birth and yet here he miraculously stood. I imagine that Abraham talked often with him about what faithfulness to the Lord really looked like. Keep in mind there's only a short number of generations between Noah and Abraham. I imagine that Abraham had told him stories of Noah. It's likely that Abraham sat on his grandfather's lap, which would have been one of the sons, or great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather's lap, which would have been the, one of the sons of Noah, who was there with him, 
It's likely that Abraham relayed these messages over and over and over again throughout Isaac's life of faithfulness and what it looks like to be faithful to God so that when Isaac finally had his moment of testing, just as Abraham had his, that Isaac would prove himself faithful and that Isaac would be counted righteous because of his faithfulness. And we see this young, young man who allows his father to tie him down, who watches his father bawling his eyes out. And this story was something that meant a lot to me as a Jewish person. It meant a lot to me as somebody who believes in the Bible. But it became a whole, a whole nother level of uh, importance to me when I had children. Because growing up, I heard my parents quite often because of how much of an idiot I was who had to punish me. And my, my dad would go to spank me and go, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And every time I would look back at him and in my mind go, you're a friggin' idiot. There's no way this is going to hurt you. It's, I'm getting hit. What do you mean it's going to hurt you more than it's? There's no way. And then I had children. And all of a sudden, I understood what that meant. It wasn't that there was a physical pain, but there was an emotional pain. There was a mental pain that goes along with having to punish our children. And it's not the punishment that's the worst part. It's the fact that our children let us down, that we had to punish them. It's the fact that our children went against what they know is right, that we had to punish them. It's the fact that all the things that we've taught them over the years, they didn't take hold to at that moment that they made whatever that choice was. And I imagine Abraham sitting here and telling his son as he's tying him down to the table, this is going to hurt me way more than it's going to hurt you. He's billowing tears, and he's crying, and, and he's, he's aggressively trying to hold back all of the emotion that is overwhelming him. And Isaac's standing there, or laying there, and he's looking his father in the eyes, and it's not in the text, and I'm simply going off, off book here, but I imagine that Isaac looked his dad in the eyes with tears in his own, and he told his dad, it's okay, I understand. I understand. Whatever needs to be done, do it. I trust you. You trust God. This narrative from Genesis 22 of Isaac and the Akedah and the binding of Isaac, it's a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Yeshua, who is God's only son, whom he offered for our salvation. And when it talks about how Abraham said to his son, God will provide himself a lamb, when Abraham turned around, it wasn't a lamb that he saw caught in a thicket. It was a ram. A lamb is a young, a young uh, sheep. I was trying to find the right word. A lamb is a young sheep. A ram is not. A ram is an adult male. So when Abraham turned around, he didn't turn around to find that God had provided himself a lamb. He turned around to find that God had provided himself a ram. But then when we go forward to the Besor, to the good news, to the gospel, we see that God not only provided a lamb for our sins, but he provided literally himself as a lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. And we look in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives as Yeshua is preparing for the inevitability of what is coming in the coming hours. This is just after their Passover Seder uh, that he had with the disciples. He goes out. This is after he tells 
uh, Judah to go and Judas to go and do whatever he's going to do. Uh, he goes with his disciples to the garden on the Mount of Olives and he sits there and he begins to pray and he tells his disciples, if you got your scriptures, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36, says, then Yeshua comes with him to a place called Gethsemane and he tells his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Notice the imagery here. Keep in mind the Mount of Olives is merely the upper part of a mountain that also includes the Temple Mount, a mountain that's also called Har Zion, the Mount Zion, which would have been known by Abraham as Mount Moriah. So here Yeshua, the very Lamb himself, goes up to the Mount of Olives, which is the very same general location that ultimately he will be hung on the cross. And he tells his disciples, stay here and I'll come back to you. Just as he tells, or just as Abraham tells his servants before he takes Isaac up for the Akeda. Verse 37, he took along Peter and Zebedee's two sons and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he tells them, my soul is deeply grieved even to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he comes to his disciples and finds them sleeping, and he tells Peter, so couldn't you keep watch with me for even one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went in, uh, away and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away, from, uh, away unless I drink it, let your will be done. And again he came down and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them again and prayed a third time, saying the same words once more. Then he comes to the disciples and says to them, still sleeping, taking your rest? Look, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being delivered into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Look, my betrayer is near. If we go to the same account in Luke chapter 22, it's really interesting that in verse 43, uh, verse 41 and 2, he's praying. Verse 42, he says, Father, if, you're, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, keep in mind the image that we see in Genesis 22 with the Akedah. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, and he didn't say, don't worry, God will provide another lamb. He didn't say, here's a substitutionary sacrifice for you. This time the angel appears from heaven and strengthens him so that he is able to carry out the task that is at hand. I read the Akeda and as a father I think about the pain that it must have taken for Abraham to faithfully follow through on what God had asked of him. And then I think about as a father the pain that Yeshua was going through and the pain that God's heart, our heavenly father had in his heart because of our action is our sins that required the sacrifice in the first place. And unlike with Isaac, Yeshua did in fact allow himself to be tied down just as Isaac did, but unlike with Isaac, there wasn't another substitution. Yeshua was our substitutionary sacrifice. And unlike Isaac, who just happened to be a young man while his father was an old man, Yeshua was God himself robed in flesh. And if he wanted to, he could have ended it right then and there. There wasn't a need other than his allowing it to occur for them to be able to put him 
on that cross. When Yeshua lay down against the beams and allowed them to tie his hands down and allowed them to slam the nails through his arm. You ever, you ever went and looked at the, the historical way that the, the Romans did this? It wasn't, you know, you often see the picture of it through his hands, right? It wasn't how it was. The bones in the hand are actually pretty brittle and they would have broken loose and he would have fallen off of the, the cross. They put it between the two bones in the forearm because they're really strong. And so he had nails between the two bones in his forearms. And then he had a nail through both feet on the bottom. And he was positioned in such a way that he was kind of in this kind of emotion. And he's dangling. And it's painful. And the only way you can breathe is to push up against the nails. And you would inhale. And you would drop back down on it again. And every time you needed to breathe, this is how you had to breathe over and over and over again. And the Romans would leave you there more often than not long enough for you to die because you could no longer push yourself up to breathe. And sometimes they would be on the cross for days before that would occur. It was a very horrendous way to kill somebody. And here is God himself robed in flesh who allowed himself to be tied to that altar. Who allowed himself to be sacrificed for yours and my sins. So that he could be faithful in his calling, so that we could be restored to be faithful in ours. And as I said, think about the fact that Isaac climbed up the mountain to his own potential death, carrying the wood for his sacrifice on his back. And Yeshua climbs up the Mount of Olives for his own sacrifice, carrying the wood for his sacrifice on his back. It took a great leap of faith for Abraham to be willing to trust God. But Abraham had never seen anything but God's provision, his protection, and his divine hand in his life. It was an even greater work of faith for Isaac to trust God and for Isaac to trust his father. Isaac didn't argue. He didn't complain. He didn't throw a hissy fit. He willingly went along with it. And was willing to offer his life if that was necessary. And he believed in perfect faith that he was coming back down off that mountain in one way or another with his father. And in the same sense, Yeshua climbed that mountain on his own will. Willingly allowing himself to be slaughtered. So that he could offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He willingly poured out his blood for you and I. He willingly carried the only own, his own means of death upon his back. He willingly allowed them to tie him down and nail him to this cross. He willingly allowed his life to fade away. And just like Isaac and Abraham, there was no doubt in his mind that he was coming back off that mountain alive. And three days later, he arose from the dead. And he reappears to his disciples. And he finishes the image that Isaac was unable to finish. And he comes back to life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his own, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order 
that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has been condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim, the one and only Son of God. Many of you have heard me say time and time again, I reinterpret that verse, John 3, 16, to say, for God so loved the world that he created us so he could give his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. Because Yeshua wasn't a plan B. Isaac's binding, the Akeda, the event we read of Genesis, in Genesis 22, wasn't a plan B. It was an intentional picture that God was giving us of the work that he was going to do when he robed himself in flesh and came and tabernacled and dwelled amongst us so that he could offer his life for our sins. It was an intentional design and the message of salvation that he had been developing since Adam and Eve sinned in the first place. But as far as God was concerned, it was the only plan because he knew before he ever created creation itself that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And he knew that you and I were going to be total train wrecks of human beings. And he knew that you and I were going to mess things up left and right over and over and over again. And yet he willingly, as a father, with tears in his eyes, looked his son in the eyes and said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And allowed his son to die on behalf of our sins as a substitutionary sacrifice, as the lamb that God himself became so that we could have eternal life in his midst. Romans 10, verse 9 says, For if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart it is believed for righteousness, and with the mouth it is confessed for salvation. As we are going through the motions, if you would, on Rosh Hashanah in preparation for Yom Kippur, and we're going through this season of repentance uh, and restoration and realigning our lives with the will of God, I want to encourage you to take the time to process exactly how much God has done for us for the distinct and sole purpose of reunifying us in relationship with Him, for the single purpose of restoring His image in our life, for the purpose of the world seeing Him in us. He gave all more than we could ever imagine. He gave more than uh, Abraham could have ever imagined and yet was more than willing to do so just as Abraham was more than willing to do so. And we look at this picture that Isaac played as a foreshadowing of Yeshua and the sacrifice that Yeshua would make. And we recognize that God has been revealing the reality of his salvation since long before Yeshua walked on earth in human form. And his desire is for each and every person that hears the message of God's salvation will open their hearts. That we will believe in not only the salvation of Yeshua but the resurrection of his life that we will one day take part in. That we will believe and confess with our mouth that he is Lord. And that we will allow our lives to be an example for others of how to turn to God's salvation. So as you focus on repentance today and throughout the remaining nine days ahead of us through Yom Kippur, and I pray that this is just a beginning not a once-a-year thing, but it's just the beginning of a year in which we continue to focus on returning back to God daily. 
We must die and be reborn daily because we sin daily. But as we are seeking his face during this period of repentance, I want to encourage you to take the time to process exactly what God has done for us. It's far beyond anything that any one of us in this room could ever imagine being willing to do. But he did it for you. And he would have done it, as we said yesterday, for only one of us. If that was all that was going to be touched by it, he would have still done it. But he did it for every human that breathes the breath of life to be united with our creator and to interact with his presence daily, face to face, as a man speaks to a man. And I think this is the beauty of the message of Rosh Hashanah that God has provided a means of salvation so that when that great shofar blast occurs, we are ready and we are prepared for the judgment that lies ahead and we can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, not get away from me, you workers of iniquity. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed your plan over and over and over again, time and time again throughout your word. And Father, we ask that you open our hearts and our eyes, not only here and now during this day in which we're focusing on repentance in these 10 days that we're uh, focusing on it, but Father, that daily you will remind us and open our eyes to the work of salvation that you have provided and to the means by which we can be united to you. Father, remind us the moment we sin to humble our hearts and return back to you. Father, remind us of the weight that Yeshua took on his back that we may be saved the weight that he took on his back that we may be freed from the bondage that we carry on ours. That he willingly offered his life as our substitution. That we would no longer have to pay the eternal consequence of our sins because he has taken those consequences upon himself and provided new life in his spirit for us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.